I'm Hillary. And I'm Sandra. Coming up on this episode, we're going to talk to stand-up comedian Billy Presida. And you might know him as the host of The Man Whore Podcast. But he says he didn't give himself that name. Other people gave it to him. He's just looking for love. Just a man looking for love and a lot of ladies. Yeah. When I say love, a lot of love. A lot of it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The Quick and the Dirty Podcast with Hillary Welch and Sandra Plagakis. So, Sandra, I want to have kind of a theoretical discussion today. Um, you and I both love live music, right? Oh, my God. I, ca- I can't get enough of live music. And you're actually a jazz singer, so obviously you love it. There's something innately sexual about musicians, though. Like, whenever you go to a concert, you can't tell me you don't think, hmm, which one of those people would I love to be with? You know, it's not even when I go to a concert. It's even seeing a guy walking around with a guitar case. Even if there wasn't a guitar inside, I'd probably do them. Do you know what I mean? I blame Antonio Banderas in that gangster movie. But, (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Just the idea of anybody being on stage in a band, it's cool. And I love it. So let's have a theoretical discussion of all the different types of musicians, which member of the band is most bangable? Isn't it always the lead singer? Well, like I think the lead singer, mm, I don't know, because I think the lead singer, if they're hot, absolutely. And they can have a good voice, but sometimes they get so sweaty that I'm not into it. Also, he's got his pick of the litter as it comes to people who want to bang him. So like your chances are lower. And lead singers are the, so it's not about the one you want to bang. It's the one you can get. (laughs) Is that what we're talking about? Because that's, that's a different conversation. I think the bass player is the easiest one or the keyboardist. I have dated a lot of bass players in my day. Yeah. Um, They're, I think the unsung hero of the band, they tend to be quieter. There are a ton of memes online about like what you think you're going to be when you're a bass player in a band. And it's like a picture of the bass player with uh, surrounded by all these chicks and like people loving him. And then the reality is like him and a cat and 12 basses. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe. OK, so they don't get the credit they deserve. Right. But they're like, there's something about especially a double bass player, like the upright bass, yeah. that is super sexy because that instrument looks like my body. <laughs> so if like you can throw that thing around a stage and really work it, I'm into it. The upright bass has a lot of junk in the trunk. Is that what right. you're saying? I actually saw someone playing the upright bass in person the other day. I was at a jazz club and it is it is an incredible instrument. And you're right. When uh, you, you're, It's like she's getting felt up the entire yeah. time during your performance. So do, is sure. it, have you ever dated an upright bass player? Uh, my very first was an upright bass player, and there may have been a few more along the way. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also what people don't realize is if you are dating an upright bass player, if it's a solid wood bass, you're looking at a $30,000 investment at least. So like he's got some money in the bank. Oh, I never knew that. Okay, good. So or that's at something. least in the case. He may not actually have money, but and, and there's a backup plan. And he doesn't have commitment issues, maybe, because he's committed <laughs> to this very expensive instrument. Maybe, but high insurance bills. Uh, so what is sexiest for uh, you? I'm uh, So you're right about the lead singer. I mean, we all like to see like the face of the band. That's cool. Who's the lead singer? I Lead guitar. Because there's something sexy about a guy crushing a guitar solo. I, right. I'm sorry. And and the drummer. I've always liked drummers. So there's that. The only thing about drummers is that they, they are known for having fast hands. And do you really want that in bed? Right. Also, a lot of gear to haul, which you're going to have to help move. And there's never room for you in their car. Ooh. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, you're really thinking it through to the end, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a musician. This is what we do. See, in my in my mind, when you talk about the drummers, I think about like a, a rock star drummer, someone who has right. people. Right. Like, I don't want to ever be with a guy who's struggling. <laughs> I'm too old to be with you. If you're struggling. Musicians or not, that's just crap. You're, you're your um, own problem. Uh, yeah, they no, do I, say that drummers do it with time. <laughs> <laughs> and the different speeds and all that. Right. I mean, they get the rhythm for sure. For sure. Right. I don't know. And then there's something sexy about the piano player, too. Because it's like, yeah, you can play that rock song or you can play me sweet lullabies. <laughs> so back to that jazz club that I was at, the piano player was unbelievable. But uh, if so, there's a difference, I think, between a piano player and a keyboardist. 
I know. Right. So when I see a keyboardist, I just shoot back to the 80s and the synthesizer. Right. And but it's not like a piano player is going to bring his own piano to every restaurant like or every right. gig. It, there has to be one there. So sometimes they play keys. All right. All right. Uh, I'm still I'm, <laughs> I'm still a no. You're still a no. I'm still a no. So it's lead, guitar, lead guitar or drums. And you're saying anybody that you can get. <laughs> you know me so answer? well, Sandra. Just, you know me so well. Whoever wants to screw me is the one that I want to go to bed with. <laughs> well... I just, you know, realistic expectations, Sandra. You know, in a perfect world, honestly, if I was if I was looking for love and anybody in the band wanted to take me home, y'all know I'd say yes. So it doesn't matter. There's no time to start picking and choosing. I don't care what instrument you play. Play me. Uh, no. It's time to get to our podcast about a man whore. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> You might know the name Billy Presida. He is not just a comedian, but he has actually been called a man whore by others. And he is also the host of the Man Whore Podcast, which you may have heard of. It's, I believe, celebrating its six-year anniversary coming up this year, uh, which is a pretty, yeah, pretty big deal in the podcast world. Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty Podcast, Mr. Billy Presida. Welcome. Hello, 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 everybody. Let's get quick. Let's get dirty. <laughs> you got it, Billy. Uh, your podcast, wow, I have done a deep dive. Maybe not as deep as I can handle anyway. And wow is all I have to say. It is very open. Yeah. Uh, uh, all I know how to do is be kind of funny and professionally overshare. Yeah. Well, it it, it has totally worked for you. Um, you've called it the man whore podcast can we just start off right away by talking about what a man whore is and who called you a man whore and why is it called the man whore podcast yeah uh so i started a show almost six years ago talking to women i hooked up with about sex dating and why we didn't work out and uh you know and i started the show because i had this problem where women would sleep with me but they wouldn't date me and i wanted to find out why because like i like super romantic and cuddly and boyfriendy. Like I always, you know, anytime I wanted to escalate the relationship to become something more romantic, it was always the woman who would tell me that she wanted to keep it super casual. Uh, and so when it happened for the umpteenth time, I was like, you know, let's go find out why. And, you know, one of the reasons that I suspected that, you know, may or may not have been true was I, you know, I suspected that maybe I had had too much of a varied sex life at that point. I mean, it's also a little ridiculous because when we look back, I mean, I started the show when I was 24 years old. So maybe just like I should have been patient. But <laughs> I was convinced like I might have been too slutty to be loved. You know, it was a weird thing because sometimes girls would call me like a man whore or slutty. And, and not because like I wasn't down for commitment, but because I am a non-monogamous person. And also because I had done like a lot of interesting things. You know, I, I went to school in New York City, so I used Craigslist. I had a lot of Craigslist adventures. I was very experimental with my sexuality. And I think there were some people who, you know, were a little intimidated by it. Or at minimum, they thought, well, this isn't boyfriend material. Uh, and so that's that's where the, the, the title of the show, Man Whore Podcast, came from. Because, you know, kind of a, a term that people thought that they were being cute about. Uh, but to me, I was like, oh, no, it means I'm not lovable. And, uh, you know, I've, I've come to learn that that's not entirely the case, but that's definitely where the origins of uh, me and the show and the title come from. When, when I hear the word man whore, honestly, there's so many negative connotations to that. Like you say, you hear that you're not lovable. I just like why were why are people so afraid of a man who's sexually adventurous, do you think? Uh, well, I think we tie and I think this goes for really any gender. I think we tie a lot of times. Uh, promiscuity with a lack of seriousness or with the inability to commit or we don't attach promiscuity with being romantic, uh, which is just not the case. I mean, there are plenty of people who can be very slutty and very loving and non-monogamous people and polyamorous people can commit just as much and sometimes even more so than monogamous people. Uh, but, you know, I, I, th I think that's part of it. And um, I think also, really hot guys who get laid a lot 
don't have a great track record with being like nice dudes and ethical about their sluttiness. So I think uh, there's, there's definitely a connotation out there that uh, come from a real and true place. But, you know, not all slutty dudes are made the same. Do you think that there's also a certain portion of somebody's insecurity that would get in the way? Like being afraid that they won't be able to keep up or be good enough, hot enough. Maybe it's less about the man whore. Uh, I mean, that certainly could be the case with some people. I mean, you know, every everything's different. There's some people who... Uh, definitely felt intimidated by my experiences. Uh, and not because I was trying to get them to do a gangbang or to go, you know, to a sex party or not because I was trying to get them to wear some weird thing, but just because I had tried a lot of the stuff. That was the other thing. I think there's a lot of anticipatory anxiety, like, oh, my God, is he going to try to get me to do X, Y, or Z? <laughs> and it's like, no. You know, I went off and I tried these things. And also, you know, if there were things I wanted to do that you didn't want to do, well, I can find someone else who wants to do them independent of our relationship. Uh, you know, like I'm not super kinky. So if I'm dating someone who really needs hardcore BDSM in, in their life at some point, great. She can find somebody else who can fulfill that part of her sexuality. And then I will continue, you know, giving what I'm good at mediocre dick and good jokes. <laughs> Like you sound like quite a catch, I'm Billy. How have I not dated you? Uh, I mean, where do you live? <laughs> I I, I, unfortunately, Billy, I'm not only married, but I'm in a uh, an actual monogamous relationship. The worst kind. Oh, my God. They still make those? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, like, yeah, my marriage model is uh, very, very old school. But so long as it works for y'all, too, then that's a beautiful thing. Well, does it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know but you know, your marriage going. You want to no. be as open as I am. Listen, in a perfect world, <laughs> I don't think the world's ready for that. <laughs> I mean, we're pretty open on our podcast, but uh, not man whore podcast open. <laughs> Listen, in a perfect world, I've always said the polyamorous relationship on paper is absolute perfection. It really, really is. Um, the the notion that you could sort of have a regular partner or, you know, somebody maybe you cohabitate with and then you can branch out and get your freak on elsewhere and have other emotional connections. How lovely. Really, I love that. But then there's always a little matter of feelings that sometimes ruin that, doesn't it? Oh, are you talking about jealousy? Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Are you have you have you never been jealous in your monogamous relationship? Um yeah. Yeah. You know what I have, especially early in the relationship, for sure. In the. Right. Yes. Now she's monogamous at the point where she doesn't give a I shit. Give two, I give two fucks. <laughs> right. But, but, but the point is that monogamous people feel jealousy, too. Poly people feel jealousy as well. It's just a matter of, like, how do we handle that emotion? How do we handle that feeling? Are we going to bottle it up and be resentful and it's going to come out in little passive aggressive, you know, comments about the dishes? Uh, or is it going to be like an open and honest conversation? Hey. I'm feeling a little bit jealous. Can we talk about it? Yeah, babe, let's talk. And then we talk about what that feeling is. Because uh, I think jealousy, and also I should preface this with, I'm just a comedian with a fuck show. I'm not an expert on, like, anything. But my, my opinion is that jealousy is like anger. It's a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, it's not a natural. It's, it's masking something else. I'm feeling jealous. Okay, why am I feeling jealous? Am I feeling insecure? Do I feel like I, am I not feeling sexy? Am I not getting enough from my partner that I want? Have I not been expressing needs? Have we made agreements that they're not following through on? Like, why am I feeling jealous? Because um, jealousy is really kind of a you emotion. That's like, that's for you to take care right. of. But your partner can be there to, to talk it out with you. Um, and, but so that's a common thing, that a misconception that people think that non-monogamous people don't get jealous. Like, non-monogamous people get plenty jealous. We just yeah, talk about Yeah, you do. It. But then I, I always think to myself, the polyamorous couple has to have a level of security that the average person doesn't have. I mean, again, you're talking to someone, again, who hasn't been in a polyamorous relationship, but sure. but I'm super curious and interested but about what, it. Wouldn't a monogamous couple need to also have a deep sense of security to cut off everybody else? Uh, like, I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't do that unless I was very secure and confident in that relationship. 
I mean, like, I'm, I also just wouldn't be in a monogamous relationship at this point. But, like, even to do so, I would imagine I'd have to feel incredibly secure with that person to say, yeah, nobody else. You got it. You're it. Uh, you know, I feel comfortable, like, closing off other opportunities. I feel like, you know, a lot of the things that people say about poly or non-monogamous relationships, it's like you could say them about monogamous relationships. You know, it's uh, people worry about STDs. I'll go like, you know, monogamous couples have a, sorry, I should say phrase it this way. Non-monogamous people tend to have lower STI rates than the general population because uh, when, if we have an extra relatable and extra marital um, sexual encounter, you know, if we didn't use a condom, we can go to our partner and say, Hey, babe, I fucked up. I know our agreement is we use condoms outside the relationship, but I messed up. I didn't use a condom with this person here. So we can, we need to go back to condoms for the next few weeks until I can go get retested. Um, the monogamous couple who, or they're not monogamous or they just don't know it, but the, uh, <laughs> we'll call the unethically nominal, the unethically non-monogamous right. couple, the, the couple where there was some cheating. Someone goes off and accidentally doesn't use a condom. I mean, that's hard for them to keep the safety of their partner in mind because not only do you have to admit that they didn't use the condom, they have to admit that they fucked somebody else. Oh, what a tangled web we will. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that causes them to not even tell their partner, and now we've spread around chlamydia, and we just have no idea how it happened. Baby, it came from the toilet seat, I swear. So, Billy, (laughs) when you started this podcast, the original intent was to figure out why you perceived yourself as undateable. Now, did you discover why, or how did you come to the conclusion that you are dateable? Uh, I mean, I came to the conclusion that I'm dateable when someone started, you know, sticking around more than a few months. But, uh, you know, naturally, there was no, like, singular reason. I mean, like, I did find out that I'm slightly condescending with younger partners, and, I'm, you know, I've worked on that, uh, continue to work on that. <laughs> but but outside of, also, like, how do you not condescend to a 22-year-old? I mean, I just think that's, like, how do you not do it? It's so easy. But, you know, outside of that, there wasn't, like, a, a singular thing that ran through with everybody. Um, it just part of it was my age. I was 24. Like, it's okay if you haven't had um, uh, a romantic relationship in five years when you're 24. Like, that's okay. I didn't know that. I thought that at this, you know, not just at the age, it just, I thought that the volume at which I had met other women, I thought that somebody would have wanted to, like, spend Valentine's Day with me. Like, I had a woman who I was seeing on and off for, like, a year and a half, broke my heart a bunch. And then, you know, like, I could never get her to go have dinner with me. Like, it was really just like, yeah, come over. And we would have, like, almost dates while over outside of the sex. We would, like, have riveting conversations and talk about a lot of really interesting issues and watch movies and eat food stuff at her place. But, like, she wasn't going to come out and have a dinner with me. She was never going to like meet my family. She, uh, I mean, I could barely get her to go out to a movie theater or a bar. It was, and, and that was maddening to me. Cause I was like, wait, so I'm good enough to come over. I'm good enough to fuck, but like, you don't want me to meet your friends. You don't want to like to take this seriously at all. Um, you know, so there was no one reason, but I have learned a lot of things about myself over the course of like these, you know, relationship postmortems. So to speak. Well, uh, it's specifically that one. Did, about, like, my, Billy, specifically what? on the one that you just spoke of, what was your postmortem on that and why she wouldn't bring you out in public? Oh, I, I still haven't even asked her to do the show. She's one of the people I'm most nervous to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, one day, Natanya, uh, I hope. Uh, we'll, we'll okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like, I would love to have her on, but I know she's a very private person. So I'm kind of like waiting for the right moment. Yeah, but, you know, that's also kind of a red flag. It's not an easy sell. (laughs) (laughs) That's a red flag, though, when someone says they're a private person and then they won't introduce you to any of their friends. It's like, wait a second here. (laughs) I don't know about that. Yeah, well, well, no, that wasn't why she didn't introduce me to friends. She was just like, oh, this is like, I don't see why I have to. Um, This is just for us. And I was like, I want I want to be your boyfriend. And she's like, I want you to act like my boyfriend, but I don't want to have any responsibilities of being your girlfriend is that type of thing. And right. that was a really common thing where like, cause I'm very boyfriendy. Like if you're sleeping with me on the regular, like I'm not just coming over, dicking you down and leaving. Like I like cuddling. I like making out. I like talking. I'll text you 
somewhat frequently throughout a week. Um, you know, I, I like to like. The, I call me call me weird, call me strange. I like to like the people that I fuck. I don't. I know that's so old school. I like to enjoy their company. Hey, Billy, did you so, just say? So I think a lot of women. Billy, can I just ask yeah. you when you just talked? Did you just say I'm going to come over to your house and dicking you like I'll dick you down? Is that an expression? No, I said. Uh, well, dick you down is an expression, but I said I'm not going <laughs> to. You're not going to do that. No, but I'm just and, excited that you that that's yeah. even on the table, a dicking down. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> I've been out of the game a long time. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> You're teaching us some new terminology. Yeah. We've been out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and so just it was a lot of um, like, I think a lot of women would realize like, oh, I'm getting a lot of the boyfriend vibes that I enjoy, the sense of security and respect and all that that I like in a romantic relationship. Um, but sometimes women would like be just out of a long-term relationship and they want to try casual sex. So I was like a safe transition. Some women, I was a good placeholder until they found the guy that they would become more serious with, you know, um, because for me, casual sex, like, I don't know, the friends with benefit thing, I like the friends part too. I think that was a shock to some people, um, and I think that made it really easy to pigeon, pigeonhole me in a, in a spot. Well, I think it's really interesting because when you talk about this woman that you actually had feelings for and you wanted to date, oh, yeah. it would not love with her. it would not be out of the ordinary for a woman to hear from a guy, oh, well, I just want to do that, but I don't want anything. And you'd be like, oh, okay, that's pretty normal. But it is odd to hear it from the female side. Yep. Uh, it's kind of a typical gender role reversal and i think that's why so many women have connected with my show so much because especially in those earlier in the first few years of the show um where it was really heavy on the you know relationship post-mortems um i think they hurt a lot of themselves in that and i think they were also relieved to hear that a man can feel that way um i've heard from other dudes who were like yeah dude me too but you know toxic masculinity uh, toxic masculinity you can't really share that we're not like allowed as men to share being hurt or to be sad or to cry and i think some dudes were able to relate to that but women relate hard because that's the stereotype that dudes just want to get it in and that women want to lock it down and that's not at all the case it's almost as if hear me out for a second individual people are individual (laughs) people and that we shouldn't you know assume (laughs) things based on gender or anything else like that Uh, you seem to have incredible self-awareness and, and and really an impressive emotional IQ. Where the fuck do you come from, Billy Brasita? Really? North North Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I I I even to start the podcast and to have that sort of self-awareness. When you describe yourself as being sort of a placeholder for women who are transitioning, like that broke my heart a little bit. To be honest with you, that must have been very painful for you. Yeah, enough so to, you know, start a very embarrassing podcast. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, that's because that's, that's you know, kind of why I did it. it. It was rough. I was really frustrated. I thought it was good because I thought I, I, the, the one that broke the camel's back for me was there was this, this gal who I met her on, I think, Tinder. Um, we meet up. We have an amazing first date over drinks. <clears throat> We're both like, oh, my God, this is, like, an insane connection. The chemistry is absurd. Like, we're going to blow up the place. Um, you know, the making out was great. And then we're like, oh, we got to we gotta do this again. And it was like, oh, yeah. And we made up. We had a second date. And that one was great, too. And um, if I remember correctly, I think we got to, like, do a little fooling around. And, like, again, the, like, the texting nonstop, like, the new relationship energy was totally there. We were both in verbal agreement, like, yeah, this is going to be a thing. And I'm thinking, awesome, finally, not going to get my heart broken again. I, um, I was even describing to my therapist, I was describing this woman that I just met. Oh, my God, it's amazing. It's great. I'm having, she, she's um, so much in common, and we're talking all the time. And I had previously described, I floated the idea of this podcast to my therapist here and there. At the time, I didn't know if it was a podcast or a blog or a, a web series or what, but I knew I wanted to do something with looking back at my past relationships. Um, or my, my non-relationships because you know, they didn't go there. And so I told her, I was like, you know what? If this one doesn't work out, I'll do that fucking podcast like I keep talking about. 
And she's like, okay. And then we went back to talking about dad. And fast forward, uh, she went home upstate for Thanksgiving and then calls me and says that while she was up there, she ran into her ex-boyfriend. They reconnected, and they decided to get back together. And so I went back to my therapist. I tell her that. I'm really sad. And while I'm being all sad-faced about it, the first thing out of my shrink's mouth was, so you're going to do that podcast? <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch. Okay, yep. You're committed. Do you think yeah. the non-monogamy piece has been a roadblock for some of those relationships along the way? Like, why does it does it freak people out? Does it not when you seemingly have all this chemistry and you're both kind of good to go? See, I don't see it as a roadblock. Uh, I meant more I, for them. Oh, no, for sure. Probably. I mean, it, it, for some of them, it 100% was. They were not people who wanted to do non-monogamy, and that's totally fair. But, you know, that's just going to be a deal breaker like, um, I'm not going to, you know, date a Trump supporter, you know, that it's just like any other deal breaker one might have. And, and that's fine. It doesn't mean anyone's wrong. I mean, with the Trump supporters, they are. but you know, in, in terms of like non-monogamy versus monogamy, it's not about, none, neither of them are right or wrong. It's about what's right for you. Like is monogamy right for you Then fucking do it. My big thing is I think a lot of people choose monogamy by default because they think that's just what you're supposed to do. There's a lot of people who are heartbreakingly in monogamous relationships or they're attempting monogamy and like maybe they keep cheating. They don't know why and they think they're a bad person. It's like, no, maybe you're not cut out for a monogamous relationship. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, but a lot of people don't realize that they have options. And I just want people to know they have options. And if you choose monogamy, do it. But I want you to choose it. I want you to do it by default. I think you're right, though, about choosing monogamy by default. We've all been socialized. Well, most of us, uh, my generation anyway, I was socialized absolutely. to be uh, monogamous. Absolutely. And I come from, you know, along my, my parents were immigrants who from Greece and Hungary, and that's the way you did it. Uh, but now it's a whole new generation of people who are, are realizing that maybe that's not the way. So compared to six years ago, I mean, let me let me ask it this way. When did you know for sure monogamy was not your jam? Uh, in like 2008, I think it was 2008 or late 07. So 2008, uh, I went to see the movie Definitely Maybe starring the wonderful Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a very young Abigail Breslin. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I went with my girlfriend at the time. I had a monogamous long distance relationship freshman year of college um, she was up at Tufts I was down at NYU and I went up to visit one time and we went to go see definitely maybe I'm a huge Ryan Reynolds fan so I, I dragged her out to that and in the, I don't know have you all seen the movie I think I so. have yeah but I can't I can't remember the details but I I, I definitely have seen it <laughs> sure the basic premise was that he's telling his daughter like how he met his mother original right. premise right and so he's like, he's telling her the story about how he meets his mom, uh, her mom. He, uh, we don't know who she is, but it basically he's telling the story of all of his relationships. It's basically three main relationships over whatever time period from, you know, graduating college forward, from college forward. And so there's three characters. And, and in them, he's clearly in love with all three of these women. And sometimes these women's stories in his life overlap, even sometimes a little bit slightly. So that was the first time I really was just thinking about, wow, like, if you can be in love with more than one person over the course of your life, which I think a lot of us would agree. Some of us agree there's only the one, and that's fine. Um, I think a lot of us would agree that just over the course of your life, you can be in love with different people. Uh, so it just, I didn't, I was like, well, then why can't those times potentially overlap, if not a little bit? Like, why not? And I thought about that, and then in the car, on the way back to her dorm, we were in the cab, and I mentioned this to my girlfriend at the time, and she freaked out. And I was not proposing non-monogamy. I was not saying that's what I want to do. I was just contemplating how love works. And she, like, we almost broke up in the car because she like started crying and she freaked out. She thought I, she thought I was trying to open the relationship up or whatever. And I was like, No, I'm just like curious. And then you know, I continued to follow that curiosity. Um, I mean, that kind of stuck in the back of my head for a few years. I, we, we broke up, um, you know, right before sophomore year started. And then, <laughs> and then like, I just kind of lived my life when I was dating and having sex. I was in college. I was in New York city. Um, but 
I started seeing this word polyamory pop up here and there, but I never really understood what it was that I felt because I did feel like, okay, I don't think monogamy would be what I would do long term. I always imagine, oh, I'll fall in love with somebody and then maybe at some point we'll like open things up to have fun. Um, but I always knew there was something there where like 100% monogamy wasn't for me. When I graduated college, I started sleeping with this one gal that I met online, and she had this book in her room called The Ethical Slut. And The Ethical Slut is like kind of the OG poly Bible. Like it's really one of like the, the, the original big books that explain non-monogamy and they talk about jealousy and stuff like that. Great book. Highly recommend for even monogamous people because it will talk about communication stuff. Um, so um, I was like, oh, what's that book? That's an interesting title. We start talking. I was like, oh, interesting. Because previously I didn't have the language to describe what I felt. And I read this book. I was like, oh, my God, not only am I not a freak, not only am I not weird for feeling this way, there's like vocab that's attached to it. And that was so awesome because I finally had something that connected me to other people who felt this way. So I think like my original thought was like I was exposed to the word polyamory freshman year of college. And I tucked that away in the back of my head till like I was about 22, 23 years old. And that's when I was like, ooh, this is doable. This is possible. And then that's when I really started to be comfortable saying, I don't think I'm going to be a monogamous guy, but like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's one. Do you? Thank you, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> By the way, he's Canadian. So it's like mandatory in this country to love him dearly. <laughs> just, just uh, so we're clear, he should be prime minister. We love him so much. Uh, I support Yeah, <laughs> me too. Uh, uh, back, just to polyamory for a second and your views on that. Um, do you, is, is for you, is polyamory like having a main relationship and then branching out? Or is it just having several relationships that you sort of simultaneously have without having like one person Poly- that you cohabitate with? Uh, polyam, well, right now I cohabitate with three other people and I am not sleeping with any of them. Uh, <laughs> I do not live with a uh, uh, fun fact that if you want a little buzzword, uh, you would call the the partner that you cohabitate with a nesting partner. Ah, got it. Okay, so you don't have two, a nesting partner. One. I do not have a nesting partner, no. Uh, I do have a girlfriend that I've been dating for about eight months. She lives with her other boyfriend of like two and a half years. Um, let's, sorry, can you repeat the question? No. <laughs> I was <laughs> asking, I, I, I just wanted to know about uh, the nesting partner and if, if that's your model. Oh, right, right, yeah. the, the structure of the structure of relationships. Um, for me, well, that's the beautiful thing about Polly is that like, it's whatever you want it to be. In fact, I think, all relationships should be whatever you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Like customize mm-hmm. it, make your own rules. Like they're whatever you want. Um, if you, you know, if you're a monogamous couple, but you two want to like, I don't know, once a year have a threesome, I would argue technically you're not hundred percent monogamous anymore, but like, cool. That's your relationship model. If you want to have a, a rule where like uh, you can do whatever you want, if you're traveling for business out of state, great. That's a rule. Like make your rules, like have these open and honest conversations. Is it okay if I make out with a guy at the bar if I'm out with my girlfriend? Maybe that's okay. Who knows? Like, talk about these things. I think a relationship is whatever two or three or four or 12 people want that one relationship to be. So you just, as long as you just have an open, honest conversation about it. So how does um, my, my dating life look for me? I, I mean, currently I have a girlfriend who has a boyfriend, and that's, I, I don't have other romantic partners right now, but I'm open to that. Uh, for me, polyamory is just about that. It's just acknowledging that I have the ability to love more than one person at the same time, to have more than one romantic relationship at the same time. I would say I have not had one before. Um, this is my first po- This is my first time doing what I would consider a poly relationship, where I'm in. I have a girlfriend, but she also has another romantic partner. Previously, um, I've dated people who describe themselves as poly, but we were each other's only romantic partners and we also fucked other people. Uh, but again, it's whatever you want it to look like. You know, one of my favorite things uh, about the deep dive I took into your podcast was coming across some of the episodes where you really dug into why people broke up mostly yeah. because some of the incidents that caused breakups were not the same on either side of that party. Like, it was interesting when they, uh, specifically, the one with Andrea Allen, it was a live comedy <laughs> one where you had hecklers. 
Oh, oh, that was the one where I had comedians heckling their exes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. amazing, by the way. I booked this comedian, Trey Galleon, and my friend, who's also a comic, Andrea Allen, who's Canadian, um, she was heck- she was secretly heckling him. Like, he didn't know it was going to be her <laughs> until, you know, he heard her voice. But my favorite part is when you brought them on stage and they sort of dissected what broke them up in the first place. And yeah, the Watergate story? Yeah, but it, what was weird was he thought it was a completely different incident that caused the breakup than she did. And that is so true in so many relationships. Absolutely. It's so interesting. That story was hilarious, though. The Watergate. Just get me. You eat my pussy and you get me water. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But he was amazing. so paranoid about sharing his water bottle. Like, that's silly. He wasn't paranoid. He just he was just like, he's like, hey, I will get you your own water. Just like. Like, I thought I was on Team Trey with that one. I was like, yeah, it's like, he wasn't saying you can't have my water. He's like, let me get you your water. And she's like, no, I want to drink your water. And it was like, fuck off. <laughs> but in his I mean, mind, he thought they broke up because he had a psychedelic weekend uh, trying to deal with some issues and she didn't give a shit about it. Right, because she was kind of already over it because Watergate had happened. <laughs> uh, she, right? And, but, but yeah, no, that's totally it. I mean, that that's. If you ask my last two serious relationships why we broke up, they might give very different reasons than why I would say. Um, and, I, and I also had one of them on last year, and I, I still don't know that we got to the bottom of it. It was, you know, it was people experience things very differently. So that's pretty common. Like, I've only gotten through a couple of those uh, breakup, breakdown sort of episodes. What do you call them? You have a special name for them. Um, I don't really have a special name for them. I just, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. They're just like any other episode. They're just, I don't have them on every week like I did in the beginning. Um, I also have on various sex educators, porn stars, sex workers, queer performers, dating experts, feminist authors, stand-up comedians. Um, so I do still have a, a variety of guests these days, uh, just kind of as the show evolved and I evolved, mm-hmm. or as I evolved, the show evolved. Uh, but yeah, no, those those X episodes are, you know, are are very interesting and special for me. I mean, the second one I ever did, I thought we stopped. You know, that was a more casual relationship because she wanted either a kinky fuck buddy or a monogamous relationship. I didn't want a monogamous relationship, uh, and so I was gonna try being the kinky fuck buddy. I wasn't very good at it. I'm a very bratty sub, apparently. <laughs> uh, you know. A little too mouthy to be a sub. Like, I'm like kneeling on the floor. It's, it's, I feel like not bratty, but like uh, I'm just a little bitch, I guess. Because <laughs> if you ask me a question, I'll answer it honestly. So like I'm kneeling on the on her wood floor, and I didn't say anything. I didn't complain. She said, "Do you want a pillow for your? Do your knees hurt?" And I said, "Yes." like, do you want a pillow? And I was like, well, I mean, if you're offering, I'll take it. Apparently, I was supposed to say, no, goddess, I'm going to be in cane for you. But I said, sure, I'll take the pillow under my knees. Uh, I didn't know that was the wrong answer. So I thought we stopped fucking because she started dating somebody else monogamously. And I was happy for her. I was like, oh, go for you, go you Jay. But when I had her on, like, she was like, no, that was six months later. We stopped fucking because I was just kind of done with it. I was like, oh, look at us having very different memories. Um, I was like, I, that was a wake up call. I was like, oh, I'm just, my dick bored her at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Has a lot of this self-discovery been painful for you? Or not, I mean, self-discovery in terms of the truth from the exes. Has it been painful? I mean, look, I'm in, I'm in anguishing mental and emotional pain all the time because I hate myself. (laughs) Makes you a great comic though. (laughs) That's true, right? Right, Self-loathing is what you do. Um, you know, I will say this: that the the more intense the relationship, the more or the more intense my feelings t- towards that person, the more difficult these episodes have been. The one I did with my ex uh, Shay last year, episode two hundred and sixty, is one of the most difficult episodes I've ever recorded because I had to sit across from someone I was in love with. It was a very angry. Um, it was a very very loud angry breakup, and a lot of mean things were said by both of us and to sit down across from them at that point and try to open up it was rough and and I cried afterwards like when once they left my apartment um I, I broke down I, I 
my roommate Matt was in the living room. I was like, dude, can I just have a hug? And I just like wept because I was like, I did not get the closure I was hoping I would get. And it was so difficult to sit across from them and have that conversation. You know, sometimes they can be really rough. Sometimes they're really fun and kitschy. Like, you know, I think uh, a month ago I had on a woman who, like, I had a threesome with with two different, like, I had her, I used her for threesomes for different people, and one of those people used her for threesomes with a bunch of people. So, like, she was, like, the threesome whisperer. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that would be interesting to, like, reconnect with Penny. Um, or, is that what I call it? Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, that would be interesting to reconnect with her. And then, like... <laughs> Um, find out like where she's been because like we've never really had full conversations other than having threesomes. Like sometimes they're fun like that, and sometimes they're very emotionally draining. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that they're painful as much as they are draining, and they continue to uh, cause me to self-reflect as I you know try to do every day. Were you always this honest? Like six years ago when you embarked on this journey, we'll call it a journey, because for yeah. lack of a better word. But have you always been that honest guy? Uh, yeah, because I, all I know, I, I, I went to a weird boarding school where we had a lot of, like, seminar. It was like a character education type of school. It was uh, a lot of talking about your feelings. There were seminars. Uh, sometimes we would, like, cancel classes if, like, the, the attitude at the school was off and we'd have a big school meeting. <laughs> so type of, it, it was a very, you know, it was a very, um, you know, trying place to be. I mean, it was good. It was positive. It was where I needed to be. But it was a lot of talking about your emotions in front of people you don't necessarily know too well or you only know some of them so sometimes you would be at a school meeting with 200 people and you'd have to stand up and talk about your heart and soul and so I think and I went there for all four years of high school so I from a young age just learned that I to be open and honest because that's what we were supposed to do and that you know we can have growth and change through um, tackling the difficult parts of ourselves. And that's just kind of how I was trained through all of my teenage years. So to do stand-up was very natural. For, I mean, the, you know, talking about sensitive topics was natural for me because that's what I was trained to do. Then I just had to learn how to be funny about it. <laughs> and then doing the podcast was natural to open up because I've been opening up for so long. So I've been opening up to strangers since I was 14 possibly earlier if you count some other things. Uh, so no, no, the, it, it, I've always been this kind of open and honest about stuff. I don't have a lot of secrets, you know, anymore. I have a few because I feel like I'm entitled to have a couple secrets, but like for the most part, I'm pretty open and transparent, even about the things that don't make me look great because I, I think by being open and honest and engaging in less than flattering aspects of myself, that's how I'm going to grow and change those parts of myself. You know, the tackling my argumentative nature and my my obsession with being right. The only way I'm going to change that is if I'm tackling it head on and having difficult conversations about it. You know, it's funny when I look back on my dating history, which really isn't that extensive because I've been married for so long. Um, I dated a guy in college when I was like 18 and I dated him for like three months tops. And he was the only man that I would say really never lied to me. He was open about the fact that he was Polly, of a young, an eighteen-year-old Polly guy who was like, "I'm dating everybody right now, and you're one of several women that I'm dating." I remember being totally crushed by this dude, but but he was so nice to me, and when I was with him, I had his full attention. And then, of course, it didn't last because he he was he was moving around too fast for me, Billy. But uh, <laughs> when you look back on things, you know, twenty twenty hindsight, all that shit. Like, that dude was, like, the best fucking guy because he never lied, and he was always upfront about it. Do you get credit? Yeah. Do you get that the credit that you deserve for being such a, a really a, an upfront stand-up kind of guy? Yeah, and you you got to do it also ethically. I mean, just because you're, you know, if you're fucking 20 different women all at the same time, just because you tell them doesn't mean you're doing it ethically. Uh, you know, you want to make sure you're being respectful of each individual relationship. And when I say relationship, I mean... That can be just a sexual relationship. It can be a romantic relationship. It can be a friendship. Yeah. Whatever it is, um, I'm using the term relationship very loosely. And, you know, but that's the – but you say, like, when you were with him, you got what you needed, that he was respectful of you, that he gave you – you know, as long as you're getting what you need from a relationship, I don't think it should matter a ton what's, what they're doing outside of it. 
so long as it's keeping everyone safe and not bringing drama or disease into your relationship, why does it matter what he does on Tuesday if you weren't going to be with if you had a meeting on Tuesday anyway? I if think you weren't going to get the beer. right. Absolutely. I think it's a lot about being honest on both sides because the uh, person who, the dude who's out seeing someone else on Wednesday, great that you're being open and honest about that, but uh, the other person in that relationship needs to be open about what exactly they want. Because if you don't say, like, this isn't okay with me or this makes me uncomfortable, then the other person's not really responsible for your feelings. Yeah, you know, like, because you got to be able to take people at face value. I mean, I do understand that there's a lot of, like social factors into like why uh, women have been conditioned to not stand up for themselves and their wants and their needs and all that. At the same time, when I'm in a relationship with someone, I make it very clear that like, I'm going to treat them like an adult. And if they say something, I'm going to take at face value. So if you want to be passive aggressive, know that like, I'm probably not going to pick up on it. So I'm going to take you at your word. Um, So mean what you say, say what you mean. And you know, if you, are not up for non-monogamy, that's okay. But don't be in a non-monogamous relationship because you don't know how to advocate for your wants and needs. Um, so so it's very important that, yeah, if you're not poly... I mean, I do know that people who are monogamous can date poly people um, in as much as they're not going to see anyone else, but they're, they can be okay with their partner being with other people. I've heard of that working out for some. It doesn't work out for everybody. Um, I don't necessarily advise it, but you know, if you can make it work, make it work. Um, but yeah, you gotta be honest with yourself. I had an ex-girlfriend who she discovered during our relationship that she might not be polyamorous. Now, when I met her, she was like Miss Polly Pocket. I mean, we met at a sex party. Like she just she came up to me at the party and just introduced herself, um, and then we started from there. So she discovered over the course of the relationship that she realized, oh, this is the first time I have someone who is like my primary partner. And I've realized like, maybe I don't want to share as much um, in that situation, but it took her forever. She didn't, she didn't go, I need to do monogamy. Um, She did briefly for our first breakup, but for the most part, whenever she felt that way, she would phrase it as, Oh, you know what? I'm doing the work or I'm rereading this book or I'm doing these worksheets. I'm journaling rather than just accepting, like maybe we shouldn't be together. And that was really fucking tough because, there really was no other reason why we couldn't stay together other than she no longer wanted me to see other people. She wanted us to just be with each other. And that was not something I signed up for, nor was it something I was interested in doing. And that was a really painful breakup because I loved her very much and she loved me and we just needed to not be together anymore. And that, that sucks. But, you know, it, I think that that relationship probably would have ended, um, six, 10, 12 months earlier, whenever, I mean, I, I don't want to dictate like how her journey needs to be, but it, it, the relationship only was going to end once I, once I realized that, yeah, like she needs to not be in this relationship anymore, but she's not going to say it. Um, Grant, we got into a big fight the night before I was going to break up with her uh, because, you know, that's how my life works. Um <laughs> She she ended up breaking up with me approximately four hours before I was going to break up with oh, her. Shit. But, you know, hers was done, out of, I think, a little bit more out of anger. And I was going to do it out of almost like a mercy, you know, a like putting down the relationship. We've all been there, eh, Billy? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the a culling. Um, can I thank you uh, profusely for coming on the podcast today? Also, I've been stalking you on Instagram. So it's really awesome to actually get to talk to you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Wait, uh, I'm gonna have to. You're gonna have to tell me your handle later, so I can uh, know who it is that's been talking. To me. Thank you. No, thank you for having me on and, and let me chat and uh, you know asking insightful questions and not being shitty about my non-monogamy as some people can be. Like, who would be uh, shitty so about that? that. Um, they would just throw out a lot of assumptions, a lot of generalizations, um, things that they think are funny jokes that like are neither funny nor like like that they were both. They're just both like stereotypical and not funny, stuff like that. So just some, some people go like, oh, well, you do this. I could never. And let me tell you why, while I slowly shade your lifestyle. And so I appreciate y'all being respectful of all that. Oh, of course, man. I actually hey. want to be you, Billy. <laughs> if I had <laughs> oh. to be honest, I kind of want to be you. Today by asking for what you want and trying to figure out the ways in which you can get it.
Oh, okay. It's easier said than done. I've been married for 20 years, and, I, and my put, best move is a starfish. I got nothing, Billy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but you know what? It's like you married 23 years. I would hope that a relationship strong enough to last 23 years is a relationship strong enough to, at minimum, have a conversation. Even if the conversation doesn't end with the result of someone doing the thing that they want to do, I, like, I would hope that just the mere bringing it up would not um, – cause a relationship at the end because then that sounds like that marriage wasn't strong to begin with but if the marriage truly is strong it can handle a conversation now billy i don't think i could handle your life because i'm pretty sure i heard on one of your episodes that you did a podcast while being with somebody uh are you talking about the happy ending massage episode or i think there was a talk of you doing a podcast while you were in someone's mouth <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that's that was a new that's a new thing that just came out. That was a bonus episode on Patreon that came out last week. Uh, yeah, so I I interviewed a fella who co-hosts the show from Porch Swingers, which is a swinging uh, like a swinger podcast. And I had slept with his girlfriend um, the year before, and I slept with her. This was in Vegas at the AVN Awards, and that just seems to be where Brenna and I are going to be able to fuck each other because. Like, they live very far away. Uh, so, anyways, uh, <laughs> I proposed the idea, at, hey, like, how about for a bonus episode, we keep trying to have a conversation while Brenna goes back and forth blowing us. <laughs> and uh, and we did. It was fun. Were you really able great. to speak? I can only make weird faces when someone's going down on me. You know, she, I, I, we managed to, to talk. Uh, there were just a few more moans involved in the conversation <laughs> that one's um behind a paywall but for free there is an episode where i interviewed a happy ending massage lady uh, while she gave me the massage yes that's available for free for anybody <laughs> <laughs> heavens have it well good for you for like hillary you made me laugh by the way that you can only make weird faces you mean you don't demand what you want and just grab them by the hair <laughs> <laughs> faster slower come on <laughs> the angry sex uh okay we've got we've gone off the rails uh billy thanks again for coming on the podcast uh we'll uh, share your social handles on our uh on our links and uh, hopefully everybody will check out the man whore podcast with billy Presida. this episode is over but the conversation doesn't have to be follow hillary and sandra on social instagram at hillary on air at sandra kiss 1053 twitter at hillary welch at sandra kiss 1053 and on facebook at quick and dirty podcast got a question email hillary and sandra the quick and the dirty at gmail.com don't forget you can download the podcast each week to your mobile device to listen offline find the quick and the dirty on frequencypodcastnetwork.com itunes or wherever you download your podcasts